You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I know y'all are sitting, but you can stay sitting as long as y'all, you can stand up. All right, let's stand up. That's how we do it up in Breasty Ranch. Y'all just get excited about life. Now, this is a confession of faith, meaning you believe it. Now, if you don't believe this yet, that's totally fine. It's called a declaration. But the Bible says that the word of the, the life and death are in the power of the tongue. So as we confess this, I want you to imagine everything in your life shifting, everything in your life turning. So we're going to say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Today, I am worthy to receive and possess the keys to your kingdom. I am blessed. I am healthy. I am bold. I declare favor, blessing, and peace over my life. You, Lord, direct my steps in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, shout amen. Come on. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Y'all can sit down again. I promise this isn't Catholic Mass. I won't be doing that all day. Worship team, you, you have been incredible. Thank you so much. You could really feel the presence of God this morning. I was like, wow. I was like, this is what I needed, y'all. This is what I needed. I'm, I'm preaching. So, uh, well, hey, how many love the Sullivans? I know I love Pastor Jesse and Kat. Uh, they've been instrumental in helping lead the way, show the way, model the way for us, even just becoming homeowners. Pastor Jesse would always probably, hey, you guys are going to own a home. It's this year. It's this year. And, uh, and so I kept agreeing, saying amen. I don't know how it's going to happen. And then God did it. So, uh, and, uh, and, and how many love the Hubbards? Come on, Dr. Matt and Michaela Hubbard, our regional pastors. They're out at one of our other North region campuses. They're out in Salt Lake City this weekend, um, preaching out there and ministering, being with the team. So I know they miss all of you, but um, they are having a good time out there and, and getting refreshed. So that's always a good thing. So we are in the theme of culture code, culture code. Uh, I love that we are doing culture code because really, you know, when you step into Awakened Church, whether you've never known Jesus whether you've never been involved in the church or whether you have been involved in the church, when you step into Awaken, and this is just what I've gathered because, you know, I got saved in this church six years ago, so I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with um, Christianity other than, you know, Catholic mass growing up and then Jewish synagogue, so literally nothing like this. And, uh, and so regardless of what background you come from, I find that Awaken is quite different, most people would say, to whatever experience they've had beforehand. So that's why we talk about culture. That's why we talk about who we are all the time, because it is different. It is unique. But it's not just like, Pastor, you're going to land, just thought of this like, oh, well, let's just do something totally different. And it's actually kingdom values. It's actually all biblical. And so what we're going to be talking about today and the rest of this month is why we do what we do as Awakened Church that's aligned with the kingdom of God. And so, like I said, I was saved in this church six years ago. Um, and my life was a mess. Like Graham said, you know, he's got plenty of sin, you know, in his path. Like, so do I. Like, I, I've had quite a journey um, in my life to get to where I am today. And I would tell you that six years ago, I walked in a broken mess. You know, I would say on a scale of one to ten in most areas of my life, I was maybe a one or a two. I would say maybe I had a three in one of them. But it was, it was really, really bad. And so when I came into Awakened Church and saw health, when I came and saw marriages actually working, when I came and saw people um, free from addiction, when I came and saw people actually happy to be alive, actually joyful, actual real friendships, because it'll take you a few weeks if you've never been here before to actually realize they're all, everything's like real. I remember my first time I came, I was like, y'all are so fake. This is crazy. But I love it. 
because y'all are happier than I am, so I'm at least, you know, play along for a couple weeks. Six years later, now I'm the guy out there, married to like the most joyful woman in the world. Uh, I definitely thought she was fake. I thought she was faking it the whole time. Still curious, but you know, six, you know, four years of marriage, you start to realize, okay, this thing's for real. Uh, because our hope isn't in the world, our hope is in the hope of the world, name of Jesus Christ. And we actually see heaven come into our lives. That's why, that's why we're thankful. So there was a sharp contrast to what I lived in and then what I walked into. And to really describe like what that was like, like what, what is that like? Many of you probably experienced the same thing. I wanna just throw up a video if we could to just kind of give you an idea of what this was like for me. It's lovely. <laughs> You, uh, you don't want to go for a ride, you know. do you? We could get out of the palace, see the world. Is it safe? Sure, do you trust me? What? Do you trust me? Yes. If that was offensive, this might be your first time at Awaken Church. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but really, like, that song uh, is the title of my message today, A Whole New World. Because I honestly believe that when you step into the kingdom of God, when you step into, uh, and whether it's you step into Awaken Church, it's a whole new world. It's drastically, it's radically different. And, uh, and just like, I think it's Princess Jasmine. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. And a lot, just like, I know, oh, come on. Yeah, uh, trust me. Trust me, I should have watched it yesterday. But as they got onto that carpet, it was like the Holy Spirit was taking them through what a life with Jesus actually looks like. It's, it's like you lift up out and you see, whoa, it's like my eyes were closed. It's like I was asleep and now I'm awake. There's a reason we're called awake in church because when you come into this house, Jesus will awaken. He will awaken the dreams. He will awaken hope. He will awaken life. He will awaken purpose inside of you like you've never experienced it before because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not just like that's what the church, it's what the Holy Spirit does. And so 
just like when I walked in, it was beautiful. It was exciting. It was, you know, filled with new adventures. It was filled with new ideas. It was filled with challenges, right? And I'm sure that's all of us can say that about walking into this house. But I soon realized, because it doesn't take you long, because we preach truth, we preach Bible, we preach truth and love. It wasn't long before I realized that my dysfunctional way of living, my dysfunctional way of believing, thinking about most areas of my life was actually in sharp contrast and disagreement with how God thought. And so if I wanted to live a life of purpose, if I wanted to live God's purpose through my life, I had to actually start shifting how I thought. I had to unlearn the world and I had to relearn kingdom. And Ephesians 4, verse 21 to 24, talks about that. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth, not your truth. I was talking to some people today. Not you, not, not you guys, just your friends. Okay, not, You guys obviously are, you know, the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead... Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That word holy is really important because a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about who God is and what God should be, and God is love. Well, what's your definition of love? Because the angels don't go around singing love, love, love. The angels go around singing holy, holy, holy. You see, when you're Jesus Christ, when you're the creator of the universe, you create the rules. And so when people want to argue, well, you know, I think love looks like this, and I think we shouldn't do this, and I don't think the church should do that. Well, you don't get to make a decision about that because you weren't the one that founded the earth. You weren't the one that formed your own being. It's Jesus' way or another highway that we sang about in Hero, and personally, I'd rather not take the highway to hell. So I'll happily get on board with the way that Jesus designed things, but it's a sharp contrast to how most of the world lives. And so the revelation that I had was that God created me, but he also purposed me. Because nothing was ever created that wasn't also purposed. So if you're here today and you've been sold a lie by the world, by the enemy, by whatever, that says, yeah, you're, you're here, but you're here for no reason. You're here with no purpose. I'm telling you, there couldn't be a greater lie on the face of the earth. This podium wasn't just created just to sit around. This podium was created to hold notes, to hold a phone, to hold a Bible. This, your, your iPhone wasn't just created just to be created. It was created with a purpose. Just like you were not just created just to live. You were created to thrive. You were created to live and honor God. And so that purpose for us as believers, Jesus makes it really clear, go out into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, right? We do that by loving God and loving people. And I really loved what Graham said. He said, we can't actually fully love people, love your neighbor as yourself, until we truly love God. And Graham basically stole one of my points. So thank you, Graham. But I realized for me to fully live in God's highest purpose for my life, I had to wrestle with and accept and really agree with three truths that were very contradictory to what I grew up believing. And I believe these are ones that we all must wrestle with if we want to really step into the purpose of God for our life. So the first one is eternity is real. And so is heaven, hell, God, and Satan. I grew up with two questions that haunted me since the day I lost my dad at nine years old. And I literally remember going to bed, not every night, but a lot of nights thinking, I don't know the answers to these two questions and I don't know if I ever will. It was number one, where am I going when I'm done with this life? In other words, where did my dad go? 
where do people go when they die? Like, what, what's next for me? Am I just going to be sitting in soil? Am I just, am I conscious? Am I, un- I had no idea. But that's a haunting thing for any of us, not just a nine-year-old, not just a 15, any of us to actually not know the answer to that question. The second answer was, why am I here? Why am I here? So I grew up asking myself that question. And uh, I'm thankful that the word of God says this in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So if you're still grappling with these questions today, I'm not going to directly really take a deep dive and address it. But I would challenge you, start asking, start knocking, because Jesus is faithful to answer those questions for you. If you open his word, he will show you exactly what the answers to those questions are. And I can tell you the truth. Number one, we all have a decision about where we go. And it's how we respond to Jesus in this life. Number two, he created you with a purpose. And that purpose is to first glorify him. And then it's to love other people and help advance this kingdom that is the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and the story of creation, this, this is what really helped me to understand in terms of eternity being real. Because, you know, the world wants to tell you that this is just existing. This is all evolutionary. There's nothing after. There's nothing before. It just kind of is. There's no purpose to it. But then when you hear the story of creation, when you hear how God created the heavens and the earth, God created everything. He created you. He created me, which makes it a lot easier to tithe. Right? Because you're like, well, it's all his anyway, so I might as well just give him the 10% he's asking for and let him bless me. But I found out that, okay, well, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all these things. But then there was a being, Lucifer, in heaven, who was basically the lead worship leader, right? Not as good looking as Gerald, but he still apparently was beautiful, was awesome, was all these things. And, uh, but he rebelled against God. He said, I want to be like God. And so he said, worship me. And God's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Get out of here. And he kicked him out. Him and one-third of the angels got sent down to the earth. And they were basically rebelling against God. You see, you, we don't really, there's not like this in-between. There's not like, well, I'm just not going to choose a side. Friends, <laughs> you got to choose a side. And if you don't choose a side by the time we're done with this place, I'm telling you, that's not a good place to be. And to, to ignore it, to think that there's not this, this war. And it's not even like an outside war. It's a civil war that broke out in heaven, that God is saying, I sent my son to set this thing up so that you guys would have an opportunity not to be like all the angels that are going to be thrown in the lake of fire, a.k.a. Because hell wasn't created for people. A father wouldn't create a lake of fire for his children. So his intention is not that we end up there. But at the end of the world, at the end of the day, C.S. Lewis said this. He says, at the end of the day, all of us end up in one of two, basically, ways. He said, we either end up saying at the end of our life, thy will be done to God, or God ends up saying, thy will be done to us if we choose not to respond to him. And so I decided, yeah, I'm just not going to play around with that. I'm going to say, thy will be done, Jesus. Because hell is just a place where God isn't. Hell is just a place where God isn't. And so I realized that Everything began to make sense when I realized, wow, there's a war for my life. There's a war for my family's life. There's a war in this world. That's why the world's fallen. That's why this world is dysfunctional. That's why bad things happen to good people, because this world is not perfect. Heaven is. But we get to be conduits of heaven and say, heaven, come into Bressy Ranch. Heaven, come into my marriage. Heaven, come into my finances. But what was really disturbing was when I found out there was a war going on, I realized I was not trained for battle. I didn't know how to pray. 
I didn't know how to worship. I didn't know how to read the word of God. And so the church exists, first and foremost, number one, to worship, to honor, to glorify God. That's why when lockdowns happened and, you know, we started to realize, wow, this isn't, you know, as crazy as everyone's saying it is, we got to get back and worship together. We got to get back and pray together because this isn't about just loving people. The church is not just existing to care for other people. The church first and foremost exists to love, to worship, to honor Jesus. It's his bride. The second purpose is to love other people and that way advance, grow the family, basically. And so I realized, wow, I have no training for this war. That's not good. But I'm thankful that this church, we have what we call men's and women's prayer. We don't just do it because we like waking up super early. We do it because when I came in, I had no idea how to pray. I, and the devil was just taking everything he freaking could from my life. Now, it doesn't happen like that. I, would, I, I was taught the authority and the power of the word of God in my mouth is just as powerful as it is in his mouth. So that when the enemy tries to come and ransack my home, like last night at 3 a.m. in the morning, my wife turns over and she's pregnant and she says, oh, my stomach's hurt. Oh, this. And I'm like, this freaking devil. And so I, you know, I, I pray like, oh, Jesus, you know, heal. And then it wasn't going away. Started doing stretch, like she, and she was in pain. So finally, I just got sick and tired. I'm like, devil, I take authority over this pain right now in Jesus' name. And I kicked it out. And guess what? That thing left because it had to. It had to because we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. But I wouldn't know how to do that if I didn't go to men's prayer. I wouldn't know how to do that if I hadn't started getting around believers. This isn't a game we play. This is life and death. So number one, eternity is real. So is heaven, hell, God, and Satan. You can choose to ignore it, but I wouldn't recommend it. Number two, we all need a savior. One of the most dangerous philosophies, ideologies that has ever existed is this, and Satan sowed this lie. If you're good, you'll go to heaven. If you're bad, you'll go to hell. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says this, who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure and free from sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John 14.6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The greatest lie, and I grew up, you know, believing it, was that if I did more good things than I did bad things, I would end up in heaven. And if I murdered someone, if I did this, if I, you know, then I'm probably going to hell, and that was it. But that's not what Jesus says. He says that all of us, all of us, all of us fall short. And, you know, there's, this, there's, this, there's basically this dichotomy of two beliefs. You can either have hope in the world or you can believe in the hope of the world. Hope in the world says who can save, that we can save ourselves and make the world a better place. It is a wretched lie that is infiltrating our school systems. It's infiltrating even believers and churches. It's infiltrating almost everything because it's this idea that I myself am greater We've evolved as humans. I'm more morally advanced than God. If you, exalt, you want to exalt yourself against Jesus Christ, then you go ahead, but that is, a, that is a battle we are going to lose. And Jesus says, why don't you just believe in the hope of the world? That, that in yourself, you are not able to reach heaven. That in your greatest strength, in your greatest might, you are unable. And, uh, and there's this book, I'd highly recommend it. It's called The Tree, or There Were Two Trees in the Garden by Rick Joyner. There were two trees in the garden. Dr. Matt told me about this. I started reading it, so I want to read a brief 
excerpt from it that I think clearly articulates uh, what is happening. It says, human goodness is an affront to the cross and is used as a compensation for it. It deludes us into thinking that if we'll do more good than evil, we'll be acceptable to the Father, thereby placing us above the need for the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Satan is actually happy for us to embrace anything religious as long as we don't turn to the cross. When we turn to the cross, Satan's power over us is completely broken. At that point, as much as at that point, we march out of his dominion into the glorious liberty of the spirit. It's much better to believe in the hope of the world, realizing I've fallen short. And the, and the most dangerous thing is, is you can be kind of just a good person. I grew up going to church. I grew up doing this. I never really did anything bad. But if we don't recognize the need for the cross, if we don't recognize the need for Jesus, not just as like a thing that we all talk about, but something we live, something we actually believe for our personal selves, uh, we'll end up on the wrong side of the battle. C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. It was literally my story. I grew up as the golden boy. Like I said, I lost my dad at nine years old. And so suddenly I became the man of the house at nine. And I had a little sister and my mom. And thankfully, my mom, you know, she was doing really well. And so she, she provided for us. I didn't have to go get a job to support the family. I didn't financially have to do that. But she was gone all the time. So I had to emotionally support the family. And so I became like, wow, Alex, you're so brave. Wow, Alex, you're so strong. All my friends, all my neighbors, the family friends would just be like, wow, Alex, wow, Alex, wow, Alex. And so I grew up just like, all right, like I'm, I'm obviously awesome. I'm obviously cool. But I knew there was dysfunctional things in me. I knew there was, there, was, there was some hell in me, but what other people saw was only heaven. So then I started doing drugs, started drinking, started doing things that aren't the angel boy, aren't the golden child, and then ended up, by the time I was 21 years old, basically the exact opposite of what I had always thought I was. Because I had tried to be good for so long in my own self, I realized, wow, I'm, I'm actually wretched. I'm actually, and, and, and so I'm thankful because I got an inheritance of $100,000. And how many know that money doesn't do you any more good? It just basically amplifies who you already are. So it accelerated all the dysfunction. It accelerated all of the sin. It accelerated how broken I was to the point where I realized I can't go on like this. And something has to change. And it was the greatest thing for me. It was the greatest thing for me. But I really see it's the same thing this generation is doing right now. The millennials, the Gen Z, it's like they want to do good. They want social justice. They want all these things, which is, it's not God, but it's not necessarily evil. And so I believe, because I believed a lot like a lot of people out there are believing right now that isn't in alignment with the word of God, but I'm believing just like I came to Christ because I tried so hard to be good, but I still fell short. I'm believing that our generation is going to come to Christ so powerfully, so powerfully, because they're trying so hard to be good in their own strength. They're going to realize there's nothing good in me. I need a savior. I need a savior. I need a savior. And they'll powerfully meet Jesus. The last point in the uh, worship team can come up now is how we live here determines how we spend our eternity. Because all of us want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Like the stewards in the parable of the talents, if we all remember that story. The master came and he, he gave one, you know, one steward one talent, which is basically a certain amount of gold. He gave another steward, uh, I believe it was two, and another steward uh, five. Those might be wrong, but that's fine. It's the point that I'm trying to make here. So 
He gave him all these. He, came, he went away. And he said, multiply these before I come back. Be faithful with them. Grow them. Multiply them. And when I come back, you need to give me an account to what happened. The guy with the one went and buried it because he was scared, because he had a scarcity mindset, because he believed that God was a punisher, that God wasn't fair, that God wasn't just. So he went and buried it. The guy with the two and the guy with the four both multiplied theirs they, they, because they had the right sight, the right view of God. They saw him as a father who wanted to reward them, not an evil, manipulative God that wanted to punish them. And so he comes back and he basically says, well done, good and faithful, well done, good and faithful to these two because they had maximized what God put them for, there for. And the guy that just buried his talent, he said, you wicked and lazy servant, get out of here. And he basically threw him out. And, uh, and so we don't want to be that one, right? But if we just hear as Christians and we don't think about the next life, if we don't think about what we do here as what matters, you can read it all throughout the Bible and I'm not going to get into it, like I said, in a deep dive. But if you ask God, God, are you a rewarder? Is this real? You see, fathers are rewarders. Fathers want to reward their children, right? Good fathers. How much better is God as a father than even us earthly fathers? He wants to reward you, but it's based on what we do here in this life. So I recognize for me to fulfill my purpose, which is, you know, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and all of us preach. Some of us have a microphone. All of us live, and that's how we preach. My loving God, loving people, I need to allow God to reshape every part of my life. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, meaning in heaven, the apostles, meaning in heaven, the believers that came before us, meaning in heaven, church leaders, people that love Jesus, that, work, that live their lives for him, are watching how you and I live. It's not a game, but it it's something that they're cheering us on for. They're saying there's a war going on and you're involved. Now, whether you want to sit in the seats or whether you want to play in the game is entirely up to you, but I promise it will affect the next life. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. All of us want to sit in the place of honor besides God's throne, but are we willing to endure the cross? The Bible says we must die to ourselves that he who dies to himself will find life and, and vice versa. C.S. Lewis said this, a Christian society is not going to arrive until most of us really want it. Meaning, imagine awaken the values, the beliefs, the community infiltrating an entire city. He's like, it's not gonna happen until this happens. Until most of us really want it and, are, and we are not going to want it until we've become fully Christian. Now he, he dives into this here. He says, I may repeat, do as you would be done by. In other words, uh, you know, do as you would want others done to you till I am black and blue in the face, but I cannot really carry it out till I love my neighbor as myself. And I cannot love my neighbor as myself until I learn to love God. And I cannot learn to love God except by learning to obey him. People say, I love God. Or are you obeying him? Now there is grace, yes. And there is grace for the times we mess up and God knows I need a lot of it. But that grace is actually not just to cover up our sin, that grace is actually meant to empower us 
to live in obedience to Jesus. Because living in obedience to Jesus is how we learn to love God. And if we can love God the way that he wants to be loved, not the way that we want to love him, because he's a holy God. He's a holy God. A holy God says, you love me like this because I am God and you are not. And so we can't just say, well, I love God the way I want to love God. I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. And that was confronting to me. I w it was confronting to me because I was chained in sin. And for me to really love God, for me to really be seated in a high place of honor with God, I had to change a lot. I had to let myself die in basically every area of my life. Before I could change the world, I had to change myself. I had to allow God to prune everything that wasn't his best for me so I could be in alignment with his ways, his will, and his word. It's similar to Israelites getting out of Egypt, right? They got out of Egypt, whoo, they're saved. Most of us just celebrate, we clap, and that's done. Like, wow, we did it. That's just the beginning. If you want to get to the promised land, you got to go through this thing called the wilderness. That's the process. That's the dying to yourself. That's the picking up your cross daily, which isn't a fun thing. But we can stay there as long as we want. The Israelites actually stayed there so long. We're so caught up in, I'm just going to live my old way because they had so much of the world, even though they were trying to get to the place of promise that God said, you know what? You can just die here. You won't live out your purpose. You won't see the destiny. You won't see the calling. You won't see the blessing that I have for you because you aren't willing to die to the old way of thinking. And so we said, you can just, and so a whole generation died in the wilderness, but there were two. Joshua and Caleb that said, you know what? We, we know that we messed up. We know that this is wrong. We know that the way we live, the way we thought has to change. And so we will, we will die to ourselves and live for you, Jesus. Live for you, God. And so they stepped into the promised land, the on-purpose life. So we get to choose how long that process is. And that process of surrender, which, you know, basically the theme was everything um, in my life had to shift. And it was actually a lot easier, I found, to change the things, to surrender the things that were externally broken. It was a lot harder to change the things that looked good but weren't God. You see, honoring God with my money wasn't actually that hard for me because I was so messed up in my finances. Anybody could have looked at my bank account. Anybody could have looked at my, anybody could have looked at anything in my finance and been like, yeah, that's messed up. I'm like, well, God's probably got a better solution for that. I'm, I've tried everything else, right? So let's just try this time, let's just try this on. But I'm glad it worked out that way because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So as soon as I began tithing, as soon as I began giving, I couldn't break free from porn, but all of a sudden, life began to came. I couldn't break free from my dysfunctional way of thinking about other people and using people and drinking and going to other things for fulfillment in life. But as soon as I began to sow, my heart started following and I found, wow, God, my heart actually wants to obey God. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I wanted my heart with God. Prioritizing the church and community wasn't that hard for me. Serving, being in a connect group, doing all those things because the people I was hanging around weren't that great. And then we all started coming to church and we got a lot better. But being real, that was very hard for me, but ended up being the greatest thing for me because with a mask on, you can't actually have authentic relationships. And that was a real faith test. Then the hardest things, if I were to be completely honest with you all, the hardest things for me were relationship. How I, how I thought about relationships, how I thought about sex, how I thought about pornography, because the world had so cauterized my mind to think this is just normal. This is just the way things are. This is just, you can, you can sleep together before marriage. Why wouldn't you? You should live together. You should test it out. You should try it out. But that's not God's best. But that was the hardest 
to change because it looked okay with the world. And when you live enough in the world, you start to think like the world. You start to have this mentality that, well, as long as the world accepts me, but what if Jesus says, that's not my best for you? What if Jesus has a better way? What if Jesus says, I've got a way that leads to life, that leads to liberty, that leads to joy, that leads to peace? I promise you, if you're experiencing any level of anxiety, any level of anxiety, there's something Jesus wants you to surrender. And so for me, those were the hardest because they looked okay to the world. Those were the things that only God would know. Only God would see. I could fake everything there. But I said, you know what, Jesus, you want all my life? You can have it. It was painful, but I, I thank God every single day. And once I could truly love God by obeying him, and I'm not telling you he doesn't love you until you do that. No, no, no. He loves you right now. But if I want to love him back, I had to obey him. I could move forward into loving others, helping them experience and journey through the same thing I did and just a lot more. And so today, whatever questions you have about God, whatever questions you have about the church, knock. Start knocking. Start asking. Start seeking. I promise you'll find answers on the other side. But if we want life, it's time to lay our lives down and embrace what the kingdom has to offer. So I'd love if everyone could just bow your heads and close your eyes as we're coming to a close. I wanna ask one question as we leave because this question is the most important question. This is the question that six years ago at a service much like this, I got asked and I knew the answer and I wasn't super happy with it, but the answer is, is your soul right with Jesus? Is your soul right with Jesus? Meaning, now that you know there are two sides, now that you know you can't play in the middle, now that you know that there is a heaven and there is a hell, there is a Jesus and there is a Satan. One wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Satan, John 10, 10. One wants to come and bring life and bring it abundantly into your life. Who will you choose? God loves you just as you are right now, just as you are right now, and he wants the very best for you. The devil wants to destroy every part of you because it's exactly what happened to him. So in a moment, on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hands. If you're saying, Pastor, I've never, I've never accepted Jesus. I've never made that decision consciously. The Bible says that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Six years ago, I made the decision for Jesus and I, I never looked back. So if you're here today and you need to raise your hand and respond, and I want you to do that in a moment. But maybe you're here today and you once walked with God, you once loved God, but you ran away, you walked away, you fell away. And maybe that even means you've been in church, maybe not this church, maybe another church, but maybe you haven't been obeying him. Maybe, maybe you know you need to get back into alignment with the will, the way, and the word of God. Today, friend, I want you to make a decision to come back because it, at the end of the day, it's a decision. God gives us free will so we can choose what we want. So on the count of three, if you could lift your hand wherever you're at, just so I know. One, friend, God loves you. Two, I promise you'll never be the same. Three, if you could just lift your hand wherever you're at, just so I know who I'm praying for. Beautiful, I see your hand in the back, sir. Beautiful, I see your hand back there, sir. Beautiful. If your heart's racing right now and you just want me to shut up, I would challenge you to raise your hand. Not because I need to see, but because God wants to know that your heart's with him. 
Is there just one more? Just one more person. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. 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 You can open your eyes. We're all going to say this prayer together. And we're going to say this prayer together because those of you who raised your hands, who made that decision, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you really mean it, I want you to pray this with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And all of us here have prayed this before. And it's all it's doing is it's inviting Jesus Christ to become Savior and Lord of your life. So we're all going to say this. Are you guys ready? Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving my life. Thank you for going to the cross and resurrecting so that I might have new life. I receive your free gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit. I declare you are my Savior and my Lord. And the rest of my life will be the best of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.